good. I miss packing, bu- passing buckets. You know, passing buckets really helped it with transitions, but I'm just like up here and you're all waiting for me to talk. Lord, wow, what a God you are. Like you are, <laughs> you just, you saved a soul tonight, God. Like someone is going to live for all of eternity with, in glory, from one degree of glory to another because of what you did on the cross. <laughs> so God, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your steadfast love. And God, I just, I thank you that you have so much more hope to release tonight. I thank you, God, that you are going to revive and reset hearts tonight. And I thank you, Lord Jesus. I just, the cross, it's just the cross. I thank you for the cross. And so, Lord, be with me tonight. Be with this room in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Isn't church just the best? Like just to be a Christian is just such a joy. Like, could you imagine what it'd be, what it'd be like to not be one? It'd be terrible. Like no hope. You know, no life. Like beyond this, and we get to stand here and celebrate because of the goodness of God something worth living for. It's just quite marvelous. Um, you know, I, I like fasting. Who's liking the fast? Fasting is such a vulnerable thing because it exposes all the areas in our life that we like numb out. Like, I feel like there's this hyper awareness when we're fasting. And so if you stop fasting, cause it was too hard, I just play blessings on you and that you would continue because it's an amazing discipline that we can do. And I, uh, I actually firmly believe that there is increased presence in here tonight because we as a church are fasting because we're coming hungry. Amen? All right, so uh, a few months ago, I started a sermon series on ministering to the heart of the Lord. And uh, it's been really fun, and I've been really excited to preach these sermons. And... Uh, All week, I actually wrote two more sermons. It was awesome. The Lord was just giving me downloads for what was supposed to be today and then the next time I preach. And uh, I was really excited. And honestly, uh, Friday night, I went over to Shifa and Dominic's house and we ate food with Pastor Stephen. And how many of you remember Pastor Stephen? Such an amazing man of God. And uh, he was praying for me and I just felt like, I don't know, just like hope, like hope coming into my heart. And uh, I can't really explain it, but I got in the car and Carrie and I were driving home with Becca and Pedro. And I was like, you guys, I wrote two sermons this week. And I feel like I, it's not what the Lord wants to do. Uh, it's not what he wants to do this Sunday. So yesterday morning, I wrote a new sermon. So I wrote three sermons this week. <laughs> Come on, isn't that cool? But I feel so firm, like so deep inside of me, like I I wish you could all feel what my gut feels like right now. Like this 
fire inside of me that God wants to reset our hearts and return us to hope. Like, I, I believe that God wants to release hope inside of, inside of us tonight, and he wants to recapture our gaze and get us back to rejoicing in the simple gospel. I think it way too easily have, do we lose sight and become numb of the power of the gospel. And the worship team had no idea what I was preaching on tonight. None of us knew anything but God did. And God tonight wants to restore hope. He wants to bring hope. I literally saw a picture this morning of a bride laying and she, she was beautiful and the bride was laying, but she was lifeless. And the Lord took electric paddles and just went, boom, hope. And I believe it's what he wants to do tonight because here's the deal. A hopeless bride is apathetic. Can you imagine a bride waiting at the end of the aisle for her groom and had no hope for what their marriage was going to be like? There probably wouldn't be a bride there if they couldn't see a hope. You see, a, a hopeless bride is apathetic. A hopeless bride falls into sin. A hopeless bride falls into temptation because there's nothing worth living for. But a bride that is filled with hope keeps her eyes on the beloved at the end of the aisle and says, I will wait for you, that I will pursue you and I will love you, and I will honor you, and a bride filled with hope will see the glory of God. And I believe firm deep down inside of my bones that Jesus did not die for a hopeless bride. That he did not die for a bride that would just toss to and fro by the wind of the sea and just live for emotional highs and emotional lows and whenever they feel good worship. And no, 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 he, he died for a bride that would eagerly wait for the unseen to become reality. He died for a bride that would wait upon the Lord until they see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He did not die for a bride that, that just waits and waits in apathy with arms crossed. He died for a bride that would do anything, anything to see him glorified. And here's the truth. I believe that with the craziness that happened in the last two years. It's, it's been crazy with all the news, with all the sickness and all the death and all of, all of this stuff that's gone on. I believe that we have lost the potency of the gospel in a lot of ways because a bride filled with hope just is passionately in love. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I don't know about you, but, and I'm not talking just about this church, but I just feel like the church in America probably isn't known for being healthy. Is that a fair assessment? The church in America is known for being a sick place. 
for a lot of people. And I believe that's because it's hope deferred. A hope deferred is a sick heart. And so God wants to awaken and revive his church. He is waiting for a bride that is shining in glory and in beauty. It says it all through Revelation in the end times that he is coming back for a bride adorned in glory. Filled with hope and anticipation. And I honestly, I just feel like tonight I need to preach to you the simple gospel. I feel like I, you know, and you already heard it. You heard it through the song. You heard it in transition. But I feel like we need to be awakened in love. We need to be a bride that is so in love with our bridegroom that we would hope, that we would kavah, that we would wait for him in eager expectation that good things are to come. Amen. And listen to this. This is pretty cool. If you're not, by the way, this, okay, you should be used to, the sermon's just going to be choppy, okay? Like, I wrote three of them this week, and like, I don't know how much time I have, and so you're just going to bear with me. Is that fine? I'm going to preach the gospel, though. And like Jesus is going to come. I honestly believe there's been the, see, the enemy, ah, here we go. The enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to do everything he can to rob you of your hope. Because if you become hopeless, you won't do anything. And so he comes like a dog and he brings sickness and he brings pain and he brings hard things to our life. He makes things really, really difficult. And I don't like him very much at all. And he wants to come and he wants to come and make you feel shame. He wants to come. And when somebody in your life dies, he wants to make you bitter and angry at God. He wants to come and pervert truth. Because if you lose sight of the goodness of God, you will not have hope and you will have nothing worth living for. And I'm sick and done with a hopeless bride. I long for the day for us to be so possessed by God that we look in this, the, all the stories in this wonderful book are about men and women of God who pursued him no matter how hard and how difficult it is. And so we need to be reminded that the enemy is defeated. And he can come and he can steal, kill and destroy all we want. And hey, it's hard just this week. Terrible, terrible news happened in my life. My old church, something that makes no sense. This perfectly healthy 50-year-old man runs multiple marathons a year, has a 16-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son who were in my ministry and I was their youth pastor. And he had two strokes and he died and they prayed for resurrection life and he didn't wake up. That doesn't make sense. That's terrible. There's nothing good about that. Right? And we have a choice. We, as believers, can sit, and I'm not saying hope isn't the absence of grief, okay? That's, I'm going to be really heavy on the hope side, okay? Let's just set up some ground rules. I don't want anyone sending me angry emails. 
Hope is not the absence of grief. It's in the midst of grief saying, God, I believe this word more than I believe the reality of what's happening in this earth right now. Hope says that even when things don't make sense, I'm going to choose to look upon you, my king, resurrected, who came on this earth, who is seated in glory, who took on flesh, lived every single day as a man here on earth, and he lived out the kingdom of God everywhere he went. And he took on all of our sin and all of our junk and all of our pain on the cross so that you and I may have life and have it abundantly. So that you and I could live in eternity with the king of glory. So that you and I could have hope and joy and peace in life today. That should fire us up inside. Amen. And so how do we grow in hope? Because the truth is, this, this guy Satan comes and he's a jerk. And, and it's really easy. We live in this confusing time and I'm not going to go into it. We, we live in this already, not yet, weird, weird time. But one thing that we do know is that, the, is that Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And so we can sit back and think about the already and the not yet, but I would rather us just focus on that the kingdom of God is here. Let's focus on seeking first his kingdom (laughs) more than what does not yet mean? That's a good word for all you like people who like to stay up here a little too much. So how do we grow in hope when Satan comes? How do we grow in hope? Romans 15, four says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. If you want to grow in hope, read this thing. This is the love letter of God to you. This is the book that testifies of what Jesus did. This is the book that has your name and my name written in it. We were the lashes and the nails in his hands. We are the ones that are all written throughout this. That he loved us so much that he came and gave himself and resurrected from the dead. Hope isn't going to come by you just waiting for pastors to minister to you or going from A small group to B small group. Hope isn't going to come with you just laying there. Hope is going to come if you are hungry for the rhema word of God. Hope is going to come if you seek first him and in him and in this book are all the letters about him. And so when I hear of a hopeless church, I hear and I think of a church that is not in the word of God. Because this book speaks nothing but truth and speaks that your destiny is of promise. 
that your destiny is of life. And so if you want hope, I promise you, read this book. Spend time with the Lord and say, God, I want your rhema word. It's not complicated. I know I wish it was like one plus two equals four, but it's like, it's just so simple. If you want God, you seek him. If you're feeling hopeless, seek him. And it's really, really important that we learn to walk in hope because hope has huge implications on our faith, which has implications on the reality of seeing the promises fulfilled in our life. Listen to this. This is one of the most, I'm kind of, this is fun. (laughs) Romans 4. This is probably my favorite scripture. It's, my dad got diagnosed for Alzheimer's. I got this book and I wrote in my Bible right here, Romans 4. It's probably the most important verse in my life. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Sorry. Romans 4, 18 through 22. Let's read this again because it's that good. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteous. When there was literally no reason to hope. They're a hundred years old. And God says, you are going to be the father of many nations. And they still don't have a baby. When there was no reason to have hope, he hoped and so became the father of many nations. Do you see that his hope in God produced faith and so he became that it's not that, huh, okay. Without hope, he would have never walked into the promise. Without hope, he would have never had faith to step into belief. Without hope, you have no reason for living. And so if you want to see the promises of God for your life, the first place is getting filled to the brim with hope. Because hope produces faith. What does Hebrews 11 say? It says, um, hope is the, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So hope produces faith, and faith what? Pleases God. So if you, because here's the deal have you ever tried to have faith without any hope? It doesn't work very well. If you just are like, I'm going to throw my faith in him, there's no substance behind it. 
The substance behind faith is hope. The eager expectation that God is going to do something good. Amen. And so listen to this. So hope is the precursor to faith and faith pleases God. And so Abraham, when there was no reason to hope, had, had hope, therefore believed and did not waver. He was given a son. And then not many years later, God says, hey, give me your one son. Give me your one thing that I promised you. <laughs> and Abraham says, okay. Because his hope wasn't in him having a kid. His hope was in God. And so therefore he knew that if he gave his kid as an offering to the Lord, that the Lord would provide. It's, I'm not preaching a message so that our promises start happening I'm preaching about hope because he's looking for obedience. And hope actually has to have some kind of substance. If hope doesn't have obedience and perseverance behind it, it doesn't have anything. And you're actually having your hope in the promise rather than the hope in the promise keeper. But having hope in the promise keeper says, I'm going to be like Hannah. When year after year after year after year, I show up to the temple and I don't have a child and I'm mocked and I'm ridiculed and, I, and nothing makes sense, I'm going to be like Hannah. Even though there is no reason for me to hope, I'm going to come before you, God, and say, give me a child. And if you give me a child, it's yours. That's hope. Hope is Paul and Silas sitting in a prison, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs when there is no reason to sing. They weren't singing to try and get out of jail. They were singing because it's an overflow of who they are. Because their hope was in somebody who's a lot bigger than a jail cell. Hope makes you do crazy, crazy, crazy things. Hope is Gideon standing when the angel of the Lord comes and appears to him and says, hey, all your, your army people are hidden in caves and doing crazy things and, and terrified of the 300,000 person army that's coming. Hey, why don't you shrink your army down even smaller and watch what happens? Hope says, okay. Because they heard the rhema word of God. And the rhema word of God, God has active and potent and carries substance behind it. And so here's the deal here. Okay, I want to honor your time tonight. We've been going really late in church lately. Oh, this is good though. You know what I'm saying? I like was like about to give you some. Yeah, I'm taking it back. 
One of the common themes that we see of hopeful people throughout the Bible is that they praised in the midst of any and every circumstance. Here's how I'm going to tie in the whole ministry to the Lord thing so we can still keep the sermon title, Ministry of the Lord, which feels kind of fun. But if you, if you are feeling hopeless, I would encourage you to begin to praise the Lord. Do you know the Bible commands us 250 plus times to praise the Lord? And once the greatest thing about praise is it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Praise is the expression. Is the expression of highly exalting somebody who is worthy. It is the act of highly exalting God for who he is and what he has done. It is the expression of approval and admiration of something. It's not a thought. It's not a feeling. It is an action. And what does the Bible say in Psalms 22? It says that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Listen to this. That literally means when we step into praise and when we choose to praise in the midst of any circumstance, when we praise him, we are enthroning him, which means we are building a throne for him to sit on. For him to come and rest his glory on. Right? We don't hear, sing songs of praise so that like we can just feel good about ourselves. We know that praise is a target for the presence of God to come and dwell his glory upon. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when Paul and Silas are praising the Lord in the jail, what happens? The glory comes and the earth shakes and they leave the place. I don't think it's a coincidence that when Jehoshaphat is surrounded by armies and he's got a lot smaller army and he's like, oh my gosh, we're going to die tomorrow. He says, great idea. Let's praise him. They wake up the next day, look down into the valley and their whole enemies are dead. Sometimes we wait for God to touch us before we praise him. And I'm here to tell you, it's not about a feeling. He commands you 250 times to praise him. If you want to see more God in your life, worship more, praise more, honor him more, glorify him more, because it builds a seat of honor for him to sit on. But waiting for him to touch you, that's selfish. It's great exegesis, I know. Waiting for him to touch you means that, God, you have to touch me for it. You have to prove your worth to me. Do you realize you standing in worship like this, when we're all singing praise worship songs, is saying, God, touch me. I'm not going to act a fool. Here's the deal. Praise is the expression it actually requires movement. Like, I I know I'm passionate, so this is probably easier for me than some people. But, you know, to just dwell and think 
about God isn't what praise is. To be honest with you, to sit like this in worship and praise, it, I'm just telling you, it's not, that's not praise. Praise is the expression of approval of something. We, we don't just praise God, we praise people. Right? The other day I was watching a video of my little fat brother. Now he's 6'3 with a six pack and I'm quite jealous. <laughs> but my little brother, he had this, we called him Scooch when he was a kid because he literally couldn't walk. He just scooched everywhere, just like <laughs> butt on the ground. And my mom uploaded all of our videos, to our childhood videos to this app, which is the coolest thing ever. I memories for any of you who want to do that. And I was watching this video of my little brother. I was seven years old. My sister was uh, five. And my brother's taking his first steps. And all of us were like, oh, my gosh, Zach. We, like, picked him up, started dancing, squeezed his little fat rolls. And we're just so happy. Now he tries to squeeze my fat rolls. And, you know, Zach, stand up. People don't listen to my brother. Can we just... This is the coolest kid. Zach is the coolest kid ever. He's like my best friend ever. Now he's 6'3". I was told in eighth grade that I was going to be the first wife ever over six foot. I have not grown an inch since. <laughs> Brutal. Like seriously, I was like, oh, I grew eight inches in one year. Eight. Five, nine. Since the doctor said that. <laughs> and then my little brother, 6'3", yoked. <laughs> that went sideways quick. But praise is something, no, but this is something to really think about. We have no problem praising humans. We have no problem expressing approval and praise for our spouse, for our kids, for our coworkers. And then for some reason, when we approach God, it's like, okay, you have to touch me before I respond to you. And like, honestly, I feel kind of selfish in inviting you into this because I just want to see more of the glory. And I believe that if we all begin to walk in it more and more and all begin to praise him and lift him up and express whatever it means to be highly exalted to him, whether it's getting on your knees, standing up, doing whatever you need to do. I don't want to be a stiff-necked person. I don't want us to be stiff-necked worshipers. That's what got the Israelites in trouble. I want to be possessed with hope and choose hope in the midst of every circumstance and so choose to praise and to honor and glorify him. Amen. I'm going to invite up my uh, like all-time favorite human, somebody who, besides my wife, that could have got me in trouble. Love you. If I ask her to stand, I'll get in some trouble. Ha! <laughs> Uh, but I'm going to invite up Pastor Robin. Robin is the most hopeful person I have ever met in my life. And so I just wanted her to share and kind of lead us into some kind of ministry time. Wow, what a sermon. Whew. So I was thinking back about a good friend of mine years back. 
um, they were going through a pretty brutal divorce. And we picked her six-year-old little girl up from church camp. And when we picked her up, she was on top of the world because she had just been spent five days at church camp. And she began telling stories one after the other. And we were listening and asking questions. And then all of a sudden she said, and I met a friend. And she said, yeah, and her family's just like ours. And then she realized what she said. And all of a sudden, her pain began to erupt. She's like, no, no, I, I, I don't know. They're not like ours. I just meant they had two boys and a girl like us. And we just began letting her, letting her vent her pain. And she just broke. And ha, she was just weeping and, and saying, I don't understand. I don't understand why my dad left. And I don't understand this. And, and just, uh, just all of it just coming out of her. And then all of a sudden, she stopped and she said, but I choose joy. I choose joy. And everything changed. We pulled over the car because now we're wrecked. We're the ones crying. And it hit me that this little girl understood the power that she carried within her to choose what she wanted. Regardless of what was going on in her circumstances, she knew that she could choose joy. And so, you know, whatever it is that we need, is it hope? Is it joy? Is it peace? We are powerful beings and we get to choose what we want. And in order to really walk in hope, and listen, I'm gonna be honest here, I went through a season last summer where I, for a minute, I lost my hope and I was feeling a despair and I didn't know what was going on. In fact, I went to my kids and I was weeping and, and they didn't know what to do with me because I am always filled with hope, but I lost sight of it and it took me down so far and so fast because hope is an unstoppable force. The one who has the most hope is the most powerful one in the room. And if there is any area in your life that you don't have hope, then you need to ask yourself, what lie am I believing? Because Jesus is hope. And if it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, so, so we get to choose it. And, and AJ, I shared this as staff and he said, you need to share this. But one of the things that I do is I strengthen myself in the Lord every single day. And you know, and when I wasn't doing that is when I lost my hope. So this is a personal little thing that I do that I'm going to share with you all. And when I start out in the mornings, I'm pretty wimpy. But by the time I get through, something happens inside of me. Hope gets released in me. Strength begins to overcome me. And I finish different than I started. So here we go. My promises, I'm going to have a seat. My promises are powerful and effective. God richly supplies all of my needs. I am dead to sin and alive to live supernaturally. My brain is powerful and alert, and I can retrieve the information that I put into it. I am anointed to read and understand God's word. 
I have been given a crown and will wear it well. I walk in ever-increasing health. I live under supernatural protection. I prosper in all of my relationships. I consistently bring God encounters to other people. Through Jesus, I am 100% loved and worthy to receive all of God's blessings. Each of my family members is wonderfully blessed and radically loves the Lord. I uproariously laugh when I hear a lie from the enemy. I set the course of my life with my words. God is on my side. Therefore, I declare that I cannot be discouraged or defeated. I am the head, not the tail. I have insight. I have wisdom. I have ideas and divine strategies. I have authority. As Abraham did, I speak God's promises over my life. My faith is being strengthened to possess all that Jesus won for me. I have a sound mind. Today I will think the right thoughts, say the right words, and make the right decisions in every situation that I face. I expect to have a powerful divine appointments today to heal the sick, prophesy life, lead people to Christ, bring deliverance, release signs and wonders, and bless every place that I go. I expect that today will be the best day of my life, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and financially, in Jesus' name. My angels are carrying out the word of God on my behalf. All attacks that were headed my way are diverted right now by angelic protection in the name of Jesus. I declare peace over the raging waters in my mind, my emotions, my body, my family, and my friends. I say peace be still to each of these areas of my life. I speak to every mountain of discouragement, stress, anxiety, depression, and lack, and I cast it into the sea in the name of Jesus. And I speak to this day, I call you blessed, and I declare that I serve a mighty God who today will do exceeding abundantly beyond all that I can ask or imagine. I say that you are a good and God, and I eagerly anticipate your goodness today. I do not use the words that take my power away. I choose my life. I can, I get to, I will. I am a powerful woman driven by love, and I am worthy to be respected and loved. I am not for sale. Oh, that's a personal one. Never mind. You don't get that one. Or this one. Or this one. I also declare my values every day. I will serve God first and honor him always. I will be honest, loyal, and trustworthy and a woman of my word, no matter the price. I will keep my values regardless of the cost, and if I fail, I will be quick to repent. I will treat all people with respect because they were created in God's image. I will strive to love everyone despite how they treat me. I will live to bless and empower the generations to come and leave an inheritance both in the spirit 
and in the natural. I will never work for money or sell myself at any price. I will only be motivated to do what I believe to be right and allow God to meet my needs. I will be generous. I will live my life to bring out the best in people and to bring them into an encounter with God. I bring hope. My words are far-reaching and have incredible power. I am passionate about seeing the broken made whole, the captive set free, and the sons and daughters living as the beloved and living in everything that Jesus paid for them. Do you feel the power in that? When I finish, no matter what is going on in my life, I am ready to get up and to go and live my life to the fullest. But I have to remind myself that every day, because if I don't, I begin to lose sight with the waves that are blowing and tossing around me. You know, Habakkuk says it so well. He says, there may, the fig tree may not have buds. There may be no grapes on the vines. The, the fields produce no food and the olive crop fails. There's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall. And yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. So listen, it does not matter what is going on in your life. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are telling you. What matters is what he has to say about you and what he has to say about what you're going to do. And the Lord speaks. He's telling everybody, you know what he's told you. You know who he's called you to be. But sometimes we have to take the steps to strengthen ourselves in the truth and in the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord will gain a new strength. They will mount up. And so we have to do whatever it takes to sit with him, to, to declare the truth, and, and to choose what it is that we want. So my question for all of you, what do you need from the Lord today? Is it joy? Is it hope? What do you want? What do you need? Because he has everything that you want and everything that you need to be who you were created to be. But you have to choose it. So get it in your head. What do I need from the Lord? And now, if you are ready to step in to what he has promised you, if you are ready to step into hope tonight, to step into the joy of the Lord, I want you to boldly stand, and we're going to worship together. Stand if, if you are going to choose what he's already told you is yours. You're going to take it by faith, right? Faith is the, is the confident assurance that what you're hoping for will happen. So let's take it by faith. The rest of you, let's stand and let's sing with complete faith that God is who he says he is, and he's going to give you what you're asking for tonight. Let's worship with every bit of who we are. Arms lifted high. Nobody's arms are crossed in this building tonight. We're going to step into worship. Amen. Amen.